don't be too rash when you ask to unmask. This week, we're keeping our masks on, indefinitely. Plus, if you don't live in Wolf Willow, don't park in Wolf Willow. Or you're getting a $100 ticket. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 155, where, as you heard from the opening segment, Mac is back. Mac, how was your vacation away from the podcast every week? Yes, thank you. Return of the Mac. Uh, It was good vacation, good to be away from the computer. I know there are listeners out there, some of them named Andrew Knack, uh, who think that I'm the serious part of the podcast. So I feel like I had to return because have you lost your co-host spot for an episode? (laughs) So for listeners who aren't aware... um, there was the Extra Life charity event that Andrew Knack participates in every year. And this year, during one of his 25 hours of gaming, challenged me to a best of seven match at Rocket League. The loser had to donate $50 to the Stollery. The winner got to host an episode of Speaking Municipally. Mm-hmm. After four games, I donated $50 <laughs> to the Stollery. Wait, wait, best, best of seven? So that makes it a clean sweep. It was, in fact, a clean sweep. Um, it was an embarrassing performance by myself, and I don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, good on you for uh, playing with Andrew and donating money to charity. And there was another part of this wager, or was this uh, in jest? As far as I'm concerned, it's a legitimate Andrew Knack at some point will be hosting an episode of Speaking Municipally. Exactly what that will look like or when that will happen is TBD, but well, it's happening. That'll be fun. Not TBD, the rapid fire, practicing for when I have to host without you. you (laughs) As winter approaches, the city of Edmonton is reminding residents of the new two-phase parking ban process. Phase one is installing bike lanes in front of every house, with the second phase being a complete prohibition on vehicle ownership. Said the deputy city manager in charge of infrastructure, quote, since all bike lanes in Edmonton are instantly cleared of snow overnight, converting all 11,000 kilometers of our roadway network into bike lanes will immediately solve all of our winter clearing issues. The potential passing of Bill 80, which would allow food trucks in certain urban areas to sell alcohol, has some food truck operators very excited. The bill is yet another from Alberta's UCP, which draws on the incredible successes seen by their peers, Saskatchewan, a province that has perfected the combination of beer and trucks down to a science. A global news article this week highlighted the underutilization of the parking lot at Heritage Valley. The parking lot, which is not near any businesses or services and is not served by LRT, saw fewer riders during the COVID pandemic than city administrators predicted it would get before the pandemic began. However, even with 1,100 stalls and only 338 current daily riders, a city proposal to remove six parking stalls on the west side in order to improve bicycle access with a dedicated lane was quashed at public hearing after business owners insisted that their businesses would fail if those stalls were removed. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. This episode is brought to you by ATB. ATB Cares is a platform that allows you to donate and have your donation matched by ATB to further your impact. The platform makes it easy for all Albertans to support the causes they care about. Donate to your favorite charity through ATB Cares, and ATB will match 20% of every dollar donated to eligible Alberta charities. To learn more and to donate, visit atbcares.com. This week, the new city council made a pretty material change, and they extended the mask bylaw in the city of Edmonton indefinitely. And I was pretty sure we already had a mask bylaw in place. I was pretty sure it was going to last for quite a while. So what what was the actual changes here, Mac? 
Well, they originally extended the bylaw to the end of the year from their very, very initial go at this so that they didn't have to keep making changes to it. And then, of course, when, you know, in the May-June timeframe, when we were going to be open for summer, they made changes again. Um, but by then, they had already set the uh, one of the triggers to be the end of the year. So it was going to be in place until December 31st, 2021 unless council repealed it earlier. And they added another trigger there, which is that if Edmonton had a case rate, COVID-19 case rate lower than 100 per 100,000 people for 10 consecutive days, that would also deactivate the bylaw. So the mass bylaw would be in place. There was a sensible way that it would be removed. December 31st fell long enough away um, that we wouldn't have to you know, continually extend it every month or every two weeks or whatever. Now they've said, we're just going to get rid of all of those triggers. And the only way the bylaw is going to go away now is if council formally withdraws it. So that's a big change. I mean, in terms of why this decision would be made, I think it's fairly obvious that during this pretty tense election period, most of people who won the election were people who said, hey, we shouldn't repeal the mask bylaw when the previous city council did or deactivated the mask bylaw. Right. And most of these new councillors are also people who have said things like, you know, the province is mismanaging the pandemic. Uh, we don't trust the province to actively protect our communities. So as first act, they're doing both of those things. They're enforcing the mask bylaw and they're making sure that the city, even absent provincial leadership, will continue to protect its citizens, at least in some way. Yeah, it's not a very surprising decision given the councillors that won the election. The other thing they asked administration to do is come back in December, not with a report on how to deactivate the bylaw, but with a discussion about triggers. So they evidently have signaled they're open to having, you know, some other reasons for the bylaw to be removed aside from them voting to do so. Uh, but they're going to talk more about that uh, presumably after they're done with the budget discussions. And that could be uh, interesting to see what they come up with because uh, the previous council was criticized, I think, quite heavily over the summer for the the way that they de deactivated the bylaw and, uh, and you know, just kind of following the, the stage four, stage three stuff from the province. One interesting thing that I noticed during this mask bylaw discussion is if you recall back to June when the initial deactivation was being debated, it was debated in the public square. There was a lot of back and forth. You could go on Twitter.com and find people posting <laughs> opinions, uh, 280 yeah. characters long. There was not a lot of that this time around. Uh, it was kind of just like almost a rubber stamp. Yeah, I couldn't tell if it was just because I was on vacation or what, but I haven't seen a lot of discussion about this. And I, I maybe that's just because, like you said, it's not a surprising decision given the council that we we have elected. could also be that people are just tired of this and don't want to continue to debate mass bylaws. I don't know. I suppose another thing is last time this was up for discussion, while it wasn't, you know, fully a month before the election, there was clearly an election going on and people were campaigning. So, yeah. Yeah, perhaps people are done making political hay out of the municipal issues. One can only hope. There's no transition to this next item, but let's talk about the Wolf Willow parking restrictions. So as a brief recap, Wolf Willow, if you don't know where that is, it's over by the Fort Edmonton Park footbridge. Right, Mac? Am I right? This is a yep. weird place for me. I don't go <laughs> to the west side of the city. Yes, this is in the west. Uh, the Fort Edmonton footbridge connects Terwilliger to Wolf Willow in the neighborhood up above. So this is at the top of the stairs. If you you know go across the footbridge and climb those those stairs, that's the neighborhood that we're talking about. Just FYI, those stairs um, at the top of the stairs after you've climbed this mountain of 
incredibly arduous stairs, there's a yellow sign at the top that says, caution, stairs. And that is the most <laughs> sarcastic, infuriating sign in the entire River Valley, bar none. A- anyway, the stairs aren't what we're talking about. We're talking about the residents at the top of the stairs who live in Wolf Willow. It has long been a complaint that um, residents in the city had uh, issues with a traffic accessing the River Valley using their parking. Well, I think it's fair to say it's been an issue since, you know, October 2011 or 2010 when the the Fort Edmonton footbridge was completed. You know, access to that amenity, access to that part of the River Valley, River Valley has been very difficult. And uh, as you pointed out, you know, there's been some issues with with parking and and people parking in the neighborhood in order to access the footbridge. Uh, we actually talked about this on a previous episode that, and it got cut from that episode. But uh, earlier this year, Councillor Sarah Hamilton, who represents the the residents there, brought forward this uh, request for a parking management program or parking restriction program, and that has now taken effect. So as of November first, there is a part of this neighborhood. It only applies to about nine. 99 homes in the area, the ones closest to the access point for the River Valley, only residents can park there now. And this was because of, you know, concerns about uh, safety and crime and littering and all these kinds of things in that area. And it's been reported that potentially this was, you know, the residents lobbying for their own solution, you know, fed up with all these problems, wanting to basically find a way to, to make them stop. It's a, I should say it's, it's a one-year pilot program, so I'm sure we're going to hear more about this as well. Any permanent program is just a renewing one-year pilot program. <laughs> Fair enough. Conveniently, though, uh, Councillor Sarah Hamilton, who uh, you said worked with the residents on this solution, um, we had recorded her councillor introduction at the end of this episode, so we figured, hey, instead of speculating about what the councillor might think, let's just ask her some questions. So we had the opportunity to do that. Uh, one of the questions I had was the media at least seemed to report that you were encouraging residents to come up with their own solution and brought forward the parking restriction program. But now we're hearing that, you know, it's kind of split the neighborhood, like half the neighborhood feels like they didn't get a say in all of this. Is that is that a fair characterization of, of what happened? And, and what do you think needs to be done to sort of unify that neighborhood? To go back, the neighborhood had been, and the residents on this crescent had been talking about um, the issues around parking and traffic for a long time. And I, I it's over 10 years at this point. And they um, felt that they had been promised support from by the city and previous city councillors to address those challenges. And it never came to fruition. And meanwhile, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, it had escalated. So the city actually proposed some modest um, interventions, uh, the Street Labs program, um, we also have the speed limit reduction, but they proposed um, a sort of parking, I'm going to say it's a parking management strategy. But by that point, I want to say things in the neighborhood had escalated to a point that there wasn't a lot of patience to um, wait and see if that was effective. So they um, came to me and said, we just want the opportunity to be able to put in a restricted parking program. And I said, I can't do that. City administration can't do that. We have to take it to council. And so what I took to council was the opportunity for them to petition. Historically, that hasn't worked in neighborhoods because the trade-off is that you only get two parking um, spots on your own street. For a lot of people, that's not a fair trade-off. Um, I think it says a lot about how challenging the situation was in the neighborhood that they got 
buy-in. Now, not everyone, you're absolutely right, not everyone in the neighborhood uh, was consulted on it. Only residents on the Crescent were had to sign off on it. And uh, there's concern about that, I think, parking as a shared public amenity. When this was brought to council, I think a really good point was brought up by Ben Henderson at the time, that the city has this issue, not just in this neighborhood, but across across Edmonton, starting to challenge our ability to go into neighborhoods with amenities, whether it's River Valley access, uh, whether it's LRT, whether it's attractions uh, or festivals. And, and that is because neighborhoods dread situations like this. So I don't know if this is the end solution, but I think we have to figure out from a public policy perspective, how we're going to support neighborhoods because I don't want to lose buy-in for things like that. And and I'm sure if you've ever listened to a public hearing, whether it's around the LRT or or density, those are issues that come up. And sometimes the, the fears don't come to fruition and sometimes they do. And this is a case where the neighborhood really felt that they did. So my very long-winded answer to your question, uh, you know, I, I encourage them to work with the city and to work with their neighbors until for them it was no longer workable. Thank you for clarifying that. I think this is a bad outcome for Edmonton. This is an amenity in the River Valley that we celebrate as something that belongs to all Edmontonians. And we've essentially allowed 99 households to have private access on their front yards to the River Valley. Would you agree with any of that? So what I'm going to challenge you on is why does parking equal access here? Because the city's provided no other access to this facility. You can't take a bus there. You can't take a train there. It's pretty hard to get there. The the most equitable way to get there, unfortunately, in this car ridden city that we call home is to drive there. I wrote about it when it first opened, the Fort Hampton footbridge back in 2011, and it was yeah. nearly impossible to get there, even as a driver. And and things haven't changed in 10 years. Okay. I have two things to say on that. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Okay. One is, so this is the Northern portion by the stairs. There's still a portion uh, is sort of in Southern part of the neighborhood. That's direct footbridge access. Um, this is to the stairs. The Southern portion has the ramp access and there is designated parking along the Northern portion of the golf course there. What the city is trying to do in this case is re-educate drivers about parking along Wolf Willow Road uh, along the green space. So it's not you can't park you can't park anywhere close to it. It's that they want you to park a little bit further away, about 500 meters. Right. The second piece, and I think you're right. Like there's if we go up one, like up a level here of discussion. West Edmonton doesn't have really great access to the river valley. By and large, neighborhoods that border the river valley and have some of some really spectacular views. If you wanted to access this particular trail, the closest you can get is parking at Terwilliger and going across the Terwilliger footbridge. Or right. um, you, you can park at Fort Edmonton. Um, obviously, in the summertime, that could be more challenging. Uh, and then there's Laurier Park. We're missing that big river valley access point um, northwest on the river. And I think that's why uh, Big Island Provincial Park is so enticing. It's, it, we can maybe mm. fill that gap. But it also, and I'm not going to let the city off the hook, although the city staff who's been helping us on this have been have been fantastic in working with the neighborhood and also, you know, defending what you're talking about, access to the river valley. We have to be more strategic in terms of planning for uh, river valley access. And I think over the last 18 months, and this is going to, we're all going to get tired of hearing about this, COVID has demonstrated how important having 
access to natural spaces is. And I'm not talking about that, you know, what gets called green ash field, those sort of sprawling, not quite soccer fields, but um, that natural, like beautiful natural space. So I guess there's two discussions that's happening here. One is these specific residents are angry about this specific thing and this specific problem. And the other is broader. How do we manage access to this public amenity that oftentimes you need to drive to. And I think I just want to focus on the first one a little bit, because I think what's getting lost in this discussion is a a sort of vitriol between both sides of, you know, the residents have a concern and then other people say, this is rich people gating access to the river valley. Um, which I think is probably an unhelpful way to frame this discussion. So maybe you've heard from these residents a lot more. Could you illuminate sort of like what the actual concern is from this neighborhood on this issue? I got asked a while ago if I thought that the socioeconomic background of the neighborhood played a factor in this. And I answered that, yeah, I do, because I think if we were dealing with a neighborhood that wasn't perceived as being as wealthy, it would have been addressed a a long time ago. And I think that for a lot of residents, the fear that they would be perceived as NIMBYs was, gave them a lot of reservations about talking about these issues and why a lot of them haven't spoken to the media or have been reticent to speak to the media. When I went out and met with residents in the neighborhood, they're talking about folks pulling up with Uh, coolers full of beer and parking across crosswalks, parking across driveways, it being late at night, going down into the river valley, partying, um, fires being set, jumping and the fire, you know, jumping onto their property. They've had like really sort of disgusting waste thrown over their fences. And it's been disturbing to the neighborhood. And I've talked about this as well. You know, when they've asked people to be more respectful, it's become confrontational. And I spent most of last summer working with this neighborhood on, like, if there's an issue, call 311 and, like, looking for an alternative solution to a parking program. And it didn't seem to alleviate either the concern or the issues for them. So, and, you know, I respect that other people sort of further off in the neighborhood are feeling that this was unfairly restricting access. I absolutely do. But they also haven't sort of dealt with being directly adjacent to some of these issues. So all the way around, I'm encouraging people to talk to each other, you know, and if this isn't an acceptable solution for you, talk about what would be. Talk about how you can support your neighbors. So that was Sarah Hamilton, counselor for Sippy Winniwack. Mac, are you convinced? (laughs) I find it, no, I I find it hard to believe that the same people that would set fire to somebody's yard or throw horrible garbage over the fence or any of those kinds of things are going to all of a sudden obey a parking restriction sign with the threat of a $100 ticket. Like, no, that doesn't seem like a solution to the problem. I think also it misses the problem itself because if the issue is littering or lighting fires, you know, there's there's policing action that can combat littering and lighting fires. But unless the action is to close down access to the river valley and say you can no longer go here at all, just moving where they park by 500 meters does that do anything or does it just make them party on the sidewalk as they walk over to the access? 
Well, it's it's clearly angered all of the residents who aren't in those 99 homes, but are still, you know, facing the problems of traffic congestion or people parking there. And, you know, it's unfortunate that the the residents are kind of against each other here. But like, you know, the bigger picture, as I, as I was sort of getting at, is that we've spent $30 million just about uh, on that footbridge. It's you know, one of the jewels of our infrastructure, and it's incredibly difficult for people to get to. And the real solution here is we shouldn't be building those things without thinking about access. Just anytime we build new facilities like this, we should be asking the question of how we can make sure that access is is equitable. And Councillor Hamilton, when she spoke, just mentioned Big Island Provincial Park. This is a new park in southwest Edmonton that the provincial government is working with the Enoch Cree Nation and the city to build. Uh, slated to be open, I think, sometime in 2023. There's an opportunity to to maybe make sure that there's you know access there as well, and that there is you know connectivity uh, for people, equitable connectivity for people. I think it's very unfortunate that this issue has come up so close to the start of the term that we talked about will be framed by the city plan and by uh, moving forward with some of our goals for Edmonton in 2050. Because we have an approach to parking and we have an approach to land use that doesn't jive with 99 homes get exclusive access to the street in front of them. I do worry every time we make a decision like this, every time we apply a residence-only parking permit, we are solidifying in the public consciousness that these 99 homes own the street in front of their house, which just isn't true. Right. Good point. Speaking of ownership of uh, public assets. Post Media once again owns the advertising dollars from the city of Edmonton. Uh, Mac, I know this one is uh, close to your heart or whatever organ becomes frustrated in (laughs) the body most easily. Mac, uh, looks like it's another year with the city giving more money to Post Media. It's like Groundhog Day. We're back to 2018. The exact same thing has happened. Post Media has been brought to uh, executive committee for approval of a new agreement. So what administration has proposed here is a $3 $3 million agreement over three years, so ending December 31st, 2024, uh, for advertising with Post Media. The last time this happened in 2018, I went and actually spoke at committee and talked about how effectively what this is is a subsidy for one outlet in our city, an outlet that is owned primarily by hedge funds in the United States. It's not really uh, a local thing at all. And uh, and it was approved in 2018, and it has been approved again here in 2021. There's a few things about this that I just don't understand, Troy. So uh, the agreement has been brought forward only because it's over the city manager's ability to approve sole source agreements because it's $3 million, right? So if it was a smaller amount, if it was a small enough amount, this never would have even come to council. Administration could have just approved it. The crazy thing about that is that in the last three years, the city only spent a million dollars with Post Media. And this is a $3 million contract that they're not planning to spend anywhere close to the full amount of. And that's really confusing for a couple of reasons. One is why would the company, Post Media, give you a deal on advertising rates just because you promised or or had the potential, sorry, to spend a large amount of money? That doesn't make any sense. And number two, wouldn't it have been better for communications to not have this come up into the public again and have people tweeting and writing blog posts about it and come up with some other way to to solve this problem. Like, I just don't understand why this came up at all, actually. And that's leaving aside how you can imagine I feel about 
taxpayers funding post media. Of course, sure, you've got all these sour grapes that you're putting on your plate. But the thing that you're missing on the table is that the city is legally required to give post media money because they have to advertise in a newspaper, right? That's what we heard all the time. Well, that was the case in 2018, but it shouldn't be the case anymore. So they made changes to the Municipal Government Act that enabled cities like Edmonton to pass bylaws to come up with some other way to satisfy notice requirements, to recognize that newspapers aren't what they used to be, and there's other ways to reach people. And in Edmonton, we passed a bylaw that does exactly that. It gives us the ability to post these things on the city of Edmonton's website or to use other mechanisms to broadly notify people about things. We don't have to put things in the newspaper anymore. Administration has said there are still some things that do require newspapers. So they, they mentioned specifically the Expropriation Act. And I did look that up. And the wording does state that notice for expropriation needs to be put into newspapers. And this is where things get tricky, I guess, because the Municipal Government Act says the requirements apply here or when another enactment, which I would take to mean the Expropriation Act, uh, requires something to be advertised. You would think that the MGA would take precedence here, but I guess there's some confusion about maybe it doesn't. In any case, this is a problem that should have been solved in this last three years. If we're making changes to the Municipal Government Act, you would think that they would also make changes to the other places where the exact sort of same language exists around notices for, for newspapers, and that the city would have known about these other things that they were already spending money on when they consulted with the province about these changes. So there's a bit of a tricky argument to be made, I think, that we're legally required. I think that's pretty charitable way to put this. I suppose the positive thing here is that it, the, the city has lowered the amount of money it has spent on traditional advertising, though it has not yet ramped up any of the money that it intended to spend on what it calls ethnic or non-traditional uh, local media. And uh, Councillor Knack, during the meeting this week, was quite surprised, actually, that given the decision they made three years ago to pass this bylaw so they didn't have to, to advertise in the newspaper anymore, he was quite surprised that things haven't changed and, and that we haven't actually moved further along on that. Do we have any insight as to why we haven't moved further along? Because, you know, Knack sits on executive committee. He approved this new post-media contract. If the intention was to stop paying post-media newspaper-specific money back in 2018, why did this get passed? Yeah, I don't think the intention was ever to stop, but just to, to recognize that we don't have to spend money for legally required ads. There's obviously still value to the city of Edmonton and buying advertising with all media in Edmonton to reach as many people as possible to promote their programs and services. It's just that we're not legally required to do it anymore. The two reasons that this hasn't happened more quickly that administration talked about at the committee meeting, number one is like everything else, the pandemic. It's your go-to excuse. And number two, that they've spent a lot of time centralizing advertising at the city of Edmonton. So it used to be that lots of different departments and branches had their own advertising budgets, went out and did their own ad purchasing. And all of that, or the vast majority of that, has now been centralized. The city has also contracted what they call uh, an agency of record, which is DDB Edmonton. These are uh, an organization that is an expert in media buying so that they can you know, get some of those economies of scale because the city does spend quite a lot of money on advertising. All of that is now in place. So there shouldn't be any reason for this to be held up any further. 
Thanks for clearing that out, Mac. I know, you know, if I ever have a question about this sort of thing, I can always ask you. Just like if I have a question about home inspections, I can always ask Rumi from Atco. Here's a clip. Hi there, I'm Brendan, a certified home inspector with Rumi. Do you have a problem that needs fixing? Whether it's big or small, inside or outside, let me help you find out what's really going on. You can call me by phone, or we can take a look together over video chat. Visit rumi.ca, that's R-U-M-I dot C-A, and go to Ask a Home Inspector to book your appointment with me today. Now, before we close today, we promised uh, two counselor introductions, and oh boy, do we ever deliver on our promises. So here, I deliver them to you at this point. Our first counselor we want to introduce you is the new Papasteo counselor, uh, who Longtime school trustee. Everyone knows him. People are already probably sufficiently sick of him after 11 years, but it's Michael Jans. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on uh, Municipally Speaking today. <laughs> CBC listener, I see. Well, congratulations <laughs> on, your, uh, on your victory. Yeah, looking forward to uh, working with you and Troy and others in the community to uh, help achieve the lofty, ambitious goals of uh, the new council. So introduce yourself to the listeners a little bit. For people who don't live in Papasteo, didn't hear your pitch, what's the pitch for Michael? Sure. Uh, yeah, I've uh, been a uh, an 11-year, three-term public school trustee, uh, almost uh, 11 years to the day, October 18th. I was first elected to the Edmonton Public School Board. Prior to that, I had been involved in uh, student leadership at the University of Alberta. I had been the president of the Students' Union. I had been involved in the Universal Transit Pass, student housing, rental issues, all sorts of different campus issues. And uh, I, uh, I also have served as the uh, marketing director for the Edmonton Federation of Community League. So I have background in neighborhood community development type issues. And uh, the last five years, I've been in the youth mentoring movement. I've been working uh, for the Alberta Mentoring Partnership and Mentor Canada, both organizations that are connected to Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Canada and helping young people find success through mentoring relationships. So definitely attuned to uh, the pandemic recovery and and the needs uh, the needs of many of our communities and many of the folks facing barriers. Two things you didn't mention that seem pretty important. You're a two-time previous guest on Speaking Municipally. Yeah, I, I'm uh, passionate about golf courses. <laughs> and uh, I think the other one we were talking about, uh, the infantilizing of uh, other levels of government by the province and how we need different tools for revenue reform and advocacy. Yeah. And then the other more serious thing is you're also a dad, right? You Talk yeah, a bit about yeah. I, I just had a I just had a campaign baby. Uh, baby Marcus joined us on August seventeenth. He's now two months and uh, two mo- two months old at the time of recording. And uh, yeah, and my son uh, Miles is uh, four and three quarters. You've got four years coming up on city council. Um, what's going to be your either your first issue or your tentpole issue? What's something that you really want to tackle? I, I'm not avoiding the question, but this is an this is my serious answer. Over the next 1,460 days, I see myself as a bit of a team builder on the board. I know, for example, we have Ashley and Anne who are phenomenally knowledgeable about planning and development issues. We have. Karen and and Aaron and others who have enormous experience in some social policy areas. We have a mayor who has made some bold commitments around climate change and anti-racism. I see my job here as kind of moving through and finding common ground with people, whether it's with Sarah Hamilton and Kim, Tim Cartmel, whether it's with Councillor Paquette and, and the work that he's been doing around transit redesign. I see myself as kind of a, not necessarily the, the goaltender, not necessarily the center ice player, but somebody who can help help 
um, fill in through the gaps. My first priority has been trying to get to know each of the counselors and find something special about them that we have in common and how we can find common ground together. I had a very ambitious, uh, multifaceted platform, but it's useless if you cannot find champions to work with you. So I see my job as, as not necessarily scoring goals, but to help others, uh, to help get assist by helping others get goals. So you mentioned you'd already talked to all of counselors. Have you gone through the entire council? Have you talked with each of them so far? I'm uh, I'm working through it and I'm working through, you know, we haven't had a lot of chat and the pandemic makes it very difficult, but really just trying to, to, to have a moment to catch each other in the hallway or online or a celebratory phone call. Um, it's, I will say it's absolute chaos right now for all of us, barely trying to get our, our, our signs in without getting fined by bylaw and then getting on top of the council agenda committees, everything else. But it is a priority for me to build a strong team with my colleagues. And so the things I want to see done, whether it's harm reduction, whether it's action on homelessness, action on climate change, all of these will be realized if I can help weave them together with other colleagues. I've learned at the school board, anybody who comes in and says, I am doing X and this is my thing, you don't get very far. If you want to go far, you have to work with your colleagues. And that's something that's I'm really leaning my energy into now. And not just here in Edmonton, but also in the region and in Calgary. I've reached out to other folks I know who got elected elsewhere and trying to find time for us to get together and to find common ground. So it's not that there's not an issue that you care about. There's lots of issues you care about. You just have come to this realization that in order to do any of them, you need to have a team. Why do you think you are the right candidate or the right counselor to play that role? Well, I think after 11 years of experience, after being a board chair, which like the mayor of the school system, after being the vice chair, the audit chair, after being like each, I had three terms on the school board, each of which were completely different teams, different people, different priorities, different enemies and frenemies, and trying to figure out how to work together. That's the most critical part. So I know I want to champion climate change. I know I'm not alone there, though. I know there's others who do, too. So how do we how do we move together? I know I want to champion uh, more investment into transit and to build on the transit redesign and to help fill in some of those gaps. I know I'm not alone there. So I think um, council sometimes can get into trouble where um, you start having uh, many people popping up in sort of many directions. And, and uh, I just see myself as right now trying to be a bit of a flexible ch- piece on the chessboard uh, to work with others to be successful. So which piece on the chessboard is that, Michael? Well, <laughs> it depends. I'd like to I'd like to think I'm a bit of a rook. <laughs> uh, the final question before we let you go, uh, we need to know, what are your thoughts on the Talistome? I think it is just fine. I, I don't really <laughs> think about it too often, to be honest. It's there. It's not going anywhere. It's not my not my favorite piece of art in Edmonton, but it's not the worst either. Like, I, I don't know. I think I think one of you said once had it been located in a different place, it could be like our Chicago Millennium Bean, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think I said that. But yes, true. The next counselor we want to introduce you to, we've already done a couple times before. She's been a friend of the podcast over the past term, and she has now won into her second term of Edmonton City Council, all the while shepherding around a brand new baby. Congratulations, Sarah Hamilton, both on your new baby and your win. Thank you very much. Nice to see you both. And I feel like I, I feel like I have to say a true friend of the podcast, Troy. You kind of slipped that in there, and we've used that term for other counselors. So fair. 
Well, we don't have to talk about him anymore. <laughs> it, do I get like a reigning Jeopardy champion or anything? Oh, that like is that? true. Just, yes, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Uh, current reigning Jeopardy champion. And we'll talk more about Jeopardy. But right now we want to talk to you, Sarah Hamilton. And for someone who hasn't listened to the podcast, hasn't followed you around the term, who are you? Why is it great that you're on council in your own words? Well, um, so I'm Sarah Hamilton. I uh, I represent Ward C.P. Winniewalk. Um, and I, I think you you said I in my second term. <laughs> I mean, I, I have lots of reasons why I think it's good that I'm on city council. I don't know if um, everyone will agree with me, but I'll give it a shot. Um, you know, I came to city council with my own perspective on business. I was an entrepreneur. I lived in the United States. I had a lot of, uh, one of the things I've talked about is I, uh, you know, I was teaching in the States and I had a lot of friends. I had a lot of students who really struggled with meeting basic needs. Healthcare is a big one in the States, but um, housing affordability, the, the burden of student debt. And something that I realized really early on was I had this great teach uh, sort of burgeoning career in academia. Uh, but I realized that I just wasn't going to be able to make the difference that needed to be made for my friends and I to have the quality of life that, um, that, oh, oh, sorry. My, my son just uh, had a moment. So um, babies do that. They do that. His, I'm just going to adjust that there. Sorry, ruin your take here. It might stay in. Yeah, it adds to the liveliness. Um, but so something that I realized in the course of um, teaching and uh, living in the States was that you needed more people with, I'm not going to say my perspective, but, you know, my, um, the kind of experience I had, people who, you know, were from an arts background, people who had struggled with some of the questions that we were legislating on. And oftentimes in government, the people who make the laws are come from a single, um, even educated educational background like uh, law or political science. So coming from what I think is a bit of a different background, I think uh, not only helps our city, but helps bring a different perspective to the table. So let's talk about some of those issues that you are going to legislate because, you know, you've got four years in the bag, you've got some experience, you know how to do council pretty well, as good as anyone on it at this point. What's What's coming up in term number two? What can people look forward to? What's something that either you're going to tackle soon or focus on over the term? Um, so I think something I heard on the doors over and over again, I'm the counselor for West Edmonton, and yet I heard concern about Edmonton losing that vibrancy downtown. A lot of people are proud of what we happened to do over the last 10 or 15 years in terms of downtown revitalization. Uh, and I think our new downtown counselor for O'Damon uh, will need some support um, in, in some of those efforts that will be necessary because um, that affects the whole city. That affects the economic prosperity of Edmonton. And something else, um, and I think I, I spoke about this, is this is a very progressive council, and I think that's to the benefit of Edmontonians that will be focusing on big questions around climate change, around housing, um, about livability in the city. But I think it's important that we don't leave folks behind. And, and I mean that in the broadest sense, um, that something I heard a lot about, even from in West Edmonton, was 
uh, concern that in building out the LRT and focusing on housing affordability, that we were going to forget about the challenges that they face. We were going to forget about quality of life uh, for, for them. And so I think it's important you have those strategic priorities. I fundamentally do, but we're stronger if we can bring people along with us and if they can, if they share that as a priority in their life and they know that it's not either or, it can be an end. And that requires really strong leadership. Just a quick follow up on that. Do you see yourself as a mentor then to the new councillors? Is that to, or what you mean mean to say about, uh, you know, supporting the O'Damon councillor, for instance? Um, yeah, and I, I, I don't necessarily use the word mentor. That's, a, you know, a gift word. But um, this election was a surprise to me, to be honest, in terms of how much, how many new councillors we now have. And, mm. you know, I thought I had my priorities and I'd have probably... Uh, six to seven returning counselors that I would, so I could focus on just what I wanted to do. Um, That's no longer the case. We lost a lot of um, institutional knowledge on city council, uh, uh, both with some, some counselors losing their elections and others choosing to not return. And I think uh, at least for me, I looked around at when we, um, after the election and thought, like, oh, wow, there's going to be a lot of things that folks won't have backgrounds on. And so in as much as I have my own priorities, a big priority is fundamentally about stewardship of the city and stewardship of uh, governance, this great organization, and, and making sure that I'm setting other people up to be successful because I'm, you know, I'm not planning on sticking around forever. And the more that they can take on. Like we have tremendous capacity on the city council. I want to be clear, but the more that they can take on and the more background they get, the better off our city will be. That's all we have time for. Thanks so much for talking with us. And of course we will be following you um, throughout the rest of the term. And who knows, uh, the returning champion may have to defend her title on Edmonton (laughs) Jeopardy at some point. So here's hoping. (laughs) All right. Thanks so much. Thank you. Five down, seven to go. You'll have to tune in to subsequent weeks of Speaking Municipally to hear those. And until then, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Municipally. Did a great job while I was away, but I'm here to bring some credibility back to the podcast, I guess. (laughs) Rude? All right. (laughs) 